Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. A Series of Unfortunate Events, Chapter 7. Right, Peyton? Okay. This is Book the Fifth, The Oster Academy. Oh yeah, this one's, this one's a doozy. The Baudelaire Orphan's school day was particularly austere. A word here which means Mr. Romero's boring stories were particularly boring. Mrs. Bass's obsession with the metric system was particularly irritating, and Nero's administrative demands were particularly difficult. But Violet, Klaus, and Sunny did not notice. Violet sat at her did not really notice. Violet sat at her school desk, and nobody, nobody who did not know Violet would have thought she was paying close attention because her hair was t- what? What was her hair? It was tied up in ribbon. Ribbon. Yep. To keep it out of her eyes, but Violet's thoughts were far, far away from the dull tales Mr. Romero was telling. She had tied her hair up, of course, to help her focus, to help focus her keen invention brain on the problem that was facing the Baudelaire's, and she didn't want to waste an ounce of her attention on the rambling. Sorry, on the rambling, banana-eating man in front of the room. Miss Bass had brought a box of pencils for her class and was having them figure out out if one of them was any longer longer or shorter than the rest. And if Mr. Bass wasn't being so... uh, wasn't so busy pacing around his room shouting, Measure! He might have noticed Klaus and thought that perhaps he shared her obsession with measurement because his eyes were sharply focused as if he were concentrating. But Klaus was spending the morning in autopilot, a word here which means measuring pencils without really thinking about them. As he placed a pencil after pencil and then next to his ruler, he was thinking of books... (sighs) of books that he had read that might be helpful for their situation. And if Vice Principal Nero had stopped practicing his violin and looked up on his infant secretary, he would have guessed that Sonny was working very hard mailing letters and dictated and had dictated to various candy companies complaining about their candy quality. But even though Sonny was typing, stapling, and stamping as quickly as she could, her mind was not on secretarial secretarial supplies, but on the appointment she and her siblings had with Coach Genghis that evening. And what could they do about it? The Quagmires were curiously absent from lunch, so the Baudelaire's were really forced to eat with their hands this time. But as they picked up a hands full of spaghetti and tried to eat it as neatly as possible, the three children were thinking so hard that they barely spoke. They knew almost without discussing the matter that none of them had been able to guess Coach, Coach Genghis's plan and that they hadn't figured out one way to avoid their appointment with him out on the lawn, an appointment that drew closer and closer with every hand, every handful of, 
every handful of lunch. The Baudelaire's passed the afternoon in more or less the same way, ignoring Romero's stories, Mrs. Bass's pencils, and the dis- diminishing supply of steeples. And even during the gym period, and even during one of Kim- Carmelita's bratty friends informed them that Genghis would start teaching the next day. But in the meantime, they were to run around as usual and the three children raced around the lawn in utter silence, devoting all of their brain power to thinking about their solution. But the Baudelaire's had been so very quiet and thinking so very hard that when the quagmires sat down across from them at dinner time and said in unison, we've solved your problem, it was more of a startle than a relief. Goodness, Violet said, you startled me. I thought you'd be relieved, Duncan said. Didn't you hear us? We've solved your problem. We're starting. We're startled and relieved, Klaus said. What do you mean you've solved our problem? My sister and I have been thinking about it all day and we've gotten nowhere. Well, we don't know what Coach Genghis is up to, and although we're sure he's up to something, and we don't know how to avoid meeting him after dinner, and although we're sure that he'll do something terrible if we do. <sighs> At first, I thought that he might simply be planning to kidnap us, Violet said, but he wouldn't have to be in disguise to do that. And at first, I thought we should call Mr. Poe after all, Klaus said, and tell him what's going on. But if Count Olaf can fool an advanced computer, I shall surely be able to fool any average banker. Trochia, Sonny agreed, said in agreeance. Duncan and I have been thinking about it all day today, Isadora said, and I filled up five and a half pages, and Duncan has filled up three. I write smaller, Duncan explained, and his fork, handing his fork to Violet so she could take turn her turn of the meatloaf as they that they're having for dinner right before lunch we compared notes Isadora continued and the two of us had the same idea so we sneaked away and put our plan in action that's what that's why we weren't at lunch Duncan explained you'll notice that there are puddles of beverages on our on our tray instead of glasses well you can share our glasses Klaus said handing his to Isadora just like your just like you're letting us share your, share your silverware. But what's your plan? What did what action did you what did you put into action? Duncan and Isadora looked at one another, smiled, and leaned in close to the Baudelaire so that they could be sure that no one would overhear. We propped we propped open the back of the door in the auditorium, Duncan said, and he and Isadora smiled tri- triumphantly and leaned back to their chairs. The Baudelaire's did not feel triumphant. They did. They felt confused. They did not want to insult their friends who had broken their rules and, been, and sacrificed their drinking glasses just to help them. But they were un, unable to see. <sighs> I could not stop yawning. How propping open the back door of the auditorium was the solution to the trouble in which they found themselves. I'm sorry, Violet said after a pause. I don't understand how propping open the back door of the auditorium solves our problems. Don't you see, Isadora said. We're going to sit in the back of the auditorium tonight, and as soon as Nero gets back in the concert, we're going to tiptoe out and sneak over to the front lawn. That way, we can keep an eye on you, and Coach Genghis, if anything fishy happens, we will run back to the concert and alert Vice Principal Nero. It's the perfect plan, don't you think? Duncan, a- Duncan asked, I'm rather proud of my sister and me if I do say myself, so myself.
the Baudelaire children looked at one another doubtfully. They didn't want to disappoint their friends or criticize the plan that the quagmire triplets had cooked up, particularly since the Baudelaire's hadn't cooked up any plan themselves. But Count Olaf was so evil and clever that the three siblings couldn't help but think of propping the door open and sneaking out and spot to spy on him would not be much of a defense against his treachery. We appreciate you trying to solve our problem, Klaus said gently, but Count Olaf is an extremely treacherous person. He always has something up his sleeve. I wouldn't want to bother, I wouldn't want you to get into any danger on our behalf. Don't talk nonsense, Isadora said firmly, taking a sip out of Violet's glass. You're the ones in danger, and it's up to us to help you. And we're not frightened of Olaf. I'm, con- I'm confident that this is a good one. The Baudelaire's looked at one another again. It was very brave of the Quagmire triplets to not be frightened of Olaf and to be confident in their plan, but the three siblings could not help but wonder if the Quagmire should be so brave. Olaf was such a wretched man that it seemed wise to be frightened of him, and he had defeated so many of the Baudelaire's plans that it seemed the little fool it seemed a little foolish to be so confident about this one. But the children were so appreciative of their friend's effort that they said nothing more about the matter. In the year, in the years to come, the Baudelaire orphans would regret this this time. And when they said nothing more about the matter, they, and they said nothing more about the matter. But in the meantime, they merely finished dinner with the Quagmires, passing the silverware and drinking glasses back and forth, and trying to talk about other things. They discussed their projects that they might want to improve to the orphan shack and what other matters they might research in the library, what they could do about what they could do about Sunny's problem with the staples, which were running quite out of rapidly, and before they knew it, it was dinner was over, and the Quagmires hurried off to the violin recital, promising to sneak out as quickly as they could. But to the Baudel- and the Baudelaire's walked out of the cafeteria over to the front lawn. The last few rays of sunset made the the children cast long sh- and long cast long long shadows as they walked. Why is it so hard to read when you're tired? Like my eyes are gonna fall out of my head. Oh my god, this is such a long chapter. Ugh. You can just read this chapter and you can be done. Okay, thank you. As if the Baudelaire's had been stretched from the across the brown grass by some horrible mechanical device. The children looked down at their shadows, which looked flimsy as sheets of paper and wished with every step that they took that they could do something else, anything else other than meet Coach Genghis alone in front of the lawn. They wished that they could just keep walk, <sighs> keep walking. Uh, great, now I lost my spot. Other than Coach Genghis, they wished that they could just keep walking under the arch, past the front lawn, and out into the world, but where would they go? The three orphans were all alone in the world. Their parents were dead. Their banker was too busy to take good care of them, and their only friends were two more orphans, who the Baudelaire sincerely hoped had snuck out of the recital by now and were now trying to spy on them as they approached the solitary figure of Coach Genghis waiting for them impatiently on the edge of the lawn. The, the waning light of the sun, the word here waning, means dim and everything looking extra creepy. 
made the shadow of Coach Gingus's turban look huge. Looks like a huge, deep hole. You're late, Gingus said in his scratchy voice. The siblings reached, reached uh, as, as the siblings reached him. They could see that he had both hands behind his back, as if he were hiding some things. Your instructions were to be here right after dinner, and you're late. Uh, we're very sorry, Violet said, craning her neck to catch a glimpse of what was behind his back. Took a little longer to eat our dinner without silverware. If you were smart, Gingus said, you would have borrowed silverware from one of your friends. We never thought of that, Klaus said, when one of his voice when one is forced to tell an atrocious lie, one often feels guilty in one's stomach and a guilty flutter in one's stomach, and Klaus felt such a flutter now. You certainly are an are an, an intelligent man, he continued. Not only am I intelligent, Gingus said. I am also very smart. <laughs> Same <thing>. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now let's get right to work. Even stupid children like yourselves should remember what I said about orphans having excellent bone structure for running. That's what you're that's why you're about to do a special orphan running exercise, or S O R E for short. I'll do, Sunny shrieked. My sister means that sounds exciting. Violet said, although all ado actually means, I wish you'd tell us what you're really up to, Gingus. I'm glad you're so enthusiastic, Gingus said. In certain cases, enthusiasm can make up for a lack of brain power. He took his hands from behind his back, and the children saw that he was holding a large metal can and a long, prickly brush. This can was wide open with an eerie white glow shining out from the top. Now, before we begin S-O-R-E, we'll need a track. This luminous paint, which means, it, this is luminous paint, which means it glows in the dark. Hmm, how interesting, Klaus said, although he knew what the word luminous meant for over two and a half years. Well, if you find it so interesting, Ginga said, in his eyes looking at the luminous paint, you can be in charge of the brush. Here. He thrust the long prickly brush into Klaus's hand. And you little girls can be charge of the paint can. I want you to paint a big circle on the grass so that you can see where you're running when you start the loops. Go on, what are you waiting for? The Baudelaire's looked at one another. What they were waiting for, of course, was that the paintbrush and of course was that Genghis revealing that he was really up to the up what he was really up to with the paintbrush and the ridiculous special orphan running exercise. But in the meantime, they figured that they'd better do as Genghis said. Painting a big luminous circle on the, on the lawn didn't seem so particularly dangerous. So Violet picked up the paint can and Klaus tip, dipped the paintbrush into the paint and began making a circle. For a moment, Sunny was something of a fifth wheel, a phrase here which means not in the position to do anything particularly helpful. But she crawled along the siblings and offered moral support. Bigger, Genghis called out in his, in the dark. Wider, Mr. Uh, the Baudelaire's followed his instructions and made the circle bigger and wider, walking further away from Genghis, leaving the glowing trail of paint. They looked out of the gloom of the evening, wondering where the Quagmire triplets were hiding or if they had managed to sneak out. Or of the recital at all. 
but the sun was setting now, and the only thing the orphans could see was a bright light they were painting on the lawn and the dim figure of Genghis, while his turban looked like a floating skull at night. Bigger, wider. All right, all right, that's big enough. What's wide enough? Finish that circle where I'm standing. Hurry up. What do you think we're really doing? Violet whispered to her brother. I don't know, Klaus said. I've only, I've only read three or four books on paint. I know that paint can sometimes be poisonous or create birth defects, but Ginkus doesn't make us eat the circle, so you're not, and you're not pregnant, of course, so I can't imagine. <sighs> Sunny wanted to add Garba, which meant something like, maybe the luminous paint is a serving of some glow signal sign, but... The Baudelaire's had come to come to full circle that they were too close for Genghis to do any more talking. I suppose that will do, orphans, Genghis said, snatching the brushes and the can out of their hands. Now, take your marks, and when I blow the whistle, begin running around this circle until I've told you to stop. What? Violet said, as I'm sure you know. There are two types of what in this world. The first one simply means, excuse me. I didn't hear you. Could you please repeat yourself? <clears throat> the second type is a little trickier. It means something more along the lines of, excuse me, I did hear you, but I can't believe that that's really what you meant. And this second type is obviously the type that Violet is using this moment. She was standing right next to Genghis so that she'd obviously heard what he, what had come out of that smelly mouth of this mis miserable man. But she couldn't believe that Genghis was simply trying to make them run laps. He was such a sneaky and revolting person that the oldest Baudelaire simply could not accept his scheme was only as evil as the average gem class. What? Genghis repeated in a mocking way. He obviously had taken a page out of Nero's book, a phrase here which means learned how to repeat things in a mocking way in order to make fun of the children. I know you heard me, little orphan girl. You're standing right next to me. Take your marks, all of you, and beginning, begin running when I blow my whistle. But Sunny is a baby, Klaus protested. She can't really run, at least not at this point. Then she may have to crawl as fast as she can. <clears throat> Genghis said, now on your marks, get set, Go! Genghis blew his whistle, and the Baudelaire orphans began to run, pacing themselves so that they could run together, even though even though that they had different sized legs. They finished one lap, and then another, and then another, and then another five more, and then another seven more, and then another three more, and then another two more, and then another one, and then six more, and then they lost track. Coach Genghis kept blowing his whistle occasionally, shouting, tedious and unhelpful things like keep running or another lap the children looked down at the luminous circle so that they could stay in the circle and the children looked over at Genghis as he grew fainter and then clearer as they finished the lap the children looked out of the darkness to see if they were catching a glimpse of the quagmires the Baudelaire's also looked at one another from time to time but they didn't speak not even when they are far enough away from Genghis that he could not hear overhear. One reason they didn't speak was to conserve energy because they thought the Baudelaire's were reasonab in reasonably good shape and had not run many laps in their lives, and before too long they were breathing too hard to really discuss anything. But the other reason they did not speak 
<clears throat> was because Violet had already spoken to them when she asked them the second type, what? The coach Gingas kept blowing his whistle and the children kept running around the track and echoing in each of their minds was this second trickier type of question. The three siblings had heard Coach Gingas, but they couldn't believe that S-O-R-E was an extent of his evil plan. The Baudelaire's orphans kept running around this glowing circle until the first ray of sunrise began to reflect on Jewel Gingas's turban, and all they could think was, What? 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 Do you think they really ran all night? Well, she's out. She is a sleeping girl.